0: that in so many ways I am the picture of white privilege from an unjust system. I have benefited directly from an unjust system. And so that's really what brings me to this work and what brings me to Richmond Public Schools and why this work on monumental conversations, on bringing this placemaking experience, this augmented reality experience to bear was so incredibly important for me.
1: In the second episode of our three-part arc on Exchange alumni working with augmented reality, or AR, we spoke with Julia about the CEO and creative director of an award-winning AR creative studio. We continue our dive into the transformative power of the technology with Exchange alumni Grady Hart, Julia's partner on the augmented reality project, Monumental Conversations. Grady an exchange alumni of the Mandela Washington Reciprocal Exchange Program and a community partnerships coordinator in Richmond, Virginia, talks about learning about systemic racism in his own community for the first time and how that spurred him to right some of the wrongs of the past by raising the voices of those who have traditionally not had a voice.
0: So uh, yeah, my name is Grady Hart. I am the Community Partnerships Coordinator for Richmond Public Schools in the city of Richmond, Virginia. Um, I have been in this role for about three years now. And my journey to come and be a part of this role with Richmond Public Schools has been really just such an intentional journey to get here. I was born and raised in the Richmond area, so I certainly claim RVA as my home. Uh, In particular, I grew up in Hanover County, which is one of several counties that borders the actual city of Richmond. And I remember growing up that despite growing up just outside of the city proper, just outside of the actual city of Richmond, I never really learned about Richmond's real history until many years later when i was actually teaching about richmond neighborhood history at uh, virginia commonwealth university and so i never learned until then for instance about the highway system that was built uh you know just very intentionally to destroy jackson ward you know at that point it was known as the harlem of the south the black wall street It was a thriving African-American community that up until the 1950s uh, or in the 1950s was just destroyed by this interstate highway system, Route 95, Route 64. And to me, you know, the fact that I didn't actually learn about that, I didn't learn about, you know, Richmond's real history until years later when I was actively seeking to learn so that I could teach that is just something that has never sit right with me. Um, It's something that really has cut to my core. And so for me, that is really when I just kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, I can either be a part of the solution here. I can, um, you know, try to sort of, you know, write some of these wrongs or be a part of writing some of these wrongs or I can, you know, stick my head in the sand. And I mean, for me just thinking about specifically that highway system, you know, I was born like I said in Hanover County and my parents used to use that highway system every day to get into the city where they would earn their living and then to get back out of the city. And because of the way that we fund our schools primarily through local property taxes, that meant that the money that my parents were earning in the city was was ensuring that I was getting a strong, good education while doing relatively little or nothing for the students and the kids that lived in the city proper. And for me, that is something that just over the last few years I've been grappling with and have come to understand that that is exactly what systemic racism looks like. And that in so many ways, I am the picture of white privilege from an unjust system. I have benefited directly from an unjust system. And so that's really what brings me to this work and what brings me to Richmond Public Schools and why this work on monumental conversations, on bringing this place-making experience, this augmented reality experience to bear was so incredibly important for me. I think my first year working with VCU, with Virginia Commonwealth University, and uh, there's a gentleman here that almost everyone will know his name. It's Reverend Ben Campbell. Uh, He is really one of the local historians, Richmond historians, that has uncovered so much of Richmond's history. He's written a book called Richmond's Unhealed History, which I would highly recommend. And I was leading a group of students from VCU to uh, meet with Ben Campbell and to hear uh, sort of a 90-minute version of basically what his book entails, which is from the very first landing of European settlers in Virginia all the way up until our present history, really seeing the arc, and um, in many ways, the arc of injustice that we've seen in our city, that really is a microcosm for what we've seen across the country, for what systemic racism has looked like. Um, You know, starting right with the fact that, you know, uh, there was, um, you know, early on this sort of definition of the white race as being, you know, being something superior. Um, And in some ways that was used as a way to kind of drive an additional schism in the, the sort of economic hierarchy of our country and its founding. And just the way that he drew that picture and the way that he was able to literally from where we were point out the window at the highway system and how that really was such an emblematic and tangible example of systemic racism at work and of the state government uh, and the local government really working together to just desecrate a community that was thriving, uh, specifically because it was a thriving Black community. I, I just remember that, I mean, there, I don't think there was a dry eye in that room, and that was myself included, and that really changed things for me. I think when I started learning about this, you know, R- Richmond has uh for many years now been a more progressive city than uh than most. Um and certainly I think if you go into the counties around Richmond, you'll hear a different narrative. Um at least from some of them. But in the city itself, uh there hasn't been, you know, even in recent months too much pushback. Uh you know, our our superintendent has you know, come out and been very clear that, you know, first of all, critical race theory, to to name, you know, that term that's getting overused a lot nowadays, you know, that's a a graduate level university course, right? That that's an incredibly complex subject. We're not teaching that in Richmond Public Schools. What we're doing is we're teaching real history and we're teaching the positives of it, we're teaching the negatives of it, we're teaching all pieces of it. But What we know is that we do not learn history by memorizing names and dates as I did growing up, right? That is not history. History is learning about how the past impacts the present and how what we do in the present can impact the future. And so uh, we really, I have not had a lot of run-ins with folks who don't understand that here in the city proper. but when I do, you know, it, it is a welcome conversation for me because if folks are really willing to listen, the facts speak for themselves. You know, the, just again, to stick with the example of the highway, you know, people, you, you could argue uh, that, you know, the highway was built there because it, we needed a highway and that was this place that made the most sense. But that's untrue. Uh you know, I think we the first part of that may be true that we needed a highway, but if you look just a i mean literally like less than a mile about a half mile if that north, there is a natural alley where a um where a train track currently is, and if you look at what that looked like in the nineteen fifties i mean it was you know it was basically open space ripe for a highway to go through that highway was put there not because we needed a highway and that was the best route, but because that was a black community that the state government and some of the local powers that be wanted to get rid of. And that was in the 1950s, right? Like we're we're not talking about that long ago. This was very recent history. And what happened as a result of that is that families were displaced Folks were moved from their communities into, they were a lot of, in a lot of cases, they were forced into public housing communities, into areas that really were just much more likely to be heavily concentrated with poverty and to have all of the issues that come with that. I mean, it, it just, it, it, it completely changed what life looked like in that area. And it was done intentionally, and there's no argument that you can make to say that that was not done intentionally. Look at the facts. It was absolutely intentional, and that's an important part of our history as a state, as a city, and as a country. But what this project really was about at its core was sharing the voices and really raising the voices of folks who have traditionally not had a voice, especially in places like Richmond's Monument Avenue. Um, And that's something that we heard very early on from the community. They said, you know what? We've heard the stories of these folks on Monument Avenue, right? We know about Robert E. Lee. We know about Jeb Stewart. We know who they are. We know what they stood for stop telling those stories. Like, let's use this as an opportunity to tell all of the positive stories, the stories of resilience of the Black community, the stories of how the Black community has contributed to making Richmond the great city that it is today and making the United States the great country that we are today. And that's something that we really set out to do from the very beginning.
1: The groundwork for Monumental Conversations might have started with Grady's time working at VCU, but the spark for it went off at an Alumni Ties seminar hosted by the U.S. Department of State in Santa Fe, New Mexico. In December 2019, Grady met Julia Biabout at Art, Culture, and Conflict Transformation, which focused on using the arts to resolve conflict. Their initial goal for Monument Avenue was to spark a conversation. But then, between the start of the COVID-19 pandemic and the murder of George Floyd, They knew they had to go deeper.
0: Richmond was certainly uh, a changed place during those months that followed. And at that point, Julie and I had just identified, well, you know, we would love to just spark conversation about Monument Avenue, about this avenue that is made up of statues of Confederate generals and Confederate, uh, you know, Confederate um, Essentially, it's a it's a monument to the lost cause narrative. That, that's basically what Monument Avenue has been. Yeah. Um, and so, what we did at that point was we identified, okay, here's where we want to do this. We were able to get a grant from the alumni ties and from the U.S. State Department to help give us some seed funding to get started on it. And um, we were able to then uh, go back to you know. Well, so I should say, then the pandemic hit and we had to step back for a little while, right? The start of 2020, uh, working in the the public school system, it, it completely turned everything on its head for us. And we had to reprioritize for a while. And so really, it wasn't until August or September of 2020 that we were able to kind of come back to the drawing board and say, hey, this is now more important than ever. You know, Monument Avenue looks different. Some of the statues at that point had been torn down by protesters. Some had been removed by the city themselves. And so what we said is this is, a, this is a golden opportunity to use this space to create more conversation, right? To have conversation about what Monument Avenue looked like in the past, what it looks like now, how we got here and what it's going to look like in the future. And I think the most important thing that we did at that stage was we looked around and we said, who needs to be at this table? Who needs to be represented here? And so we spoke with several uh, museums, the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, the Virginia Museum of History and Culture, uh, the Black History Museum, which is located right here in Richmond. And we also looked at, you know, we need our students to be involved, right? RPS students played a central role in this project in shaping what it was going to look like and then in actually building out some of the components of it. Um, And then even beyond that, you know, we worked with local artists, local activists, local historians, and ultimately we looked around the room and we said, you know, if, you know, that this room needs to look representative. It needs to look like folks, uh, like more folks here who have not traditionally had their voices heard than, frankly, than, you know, white people. And so that really was the core goal at the start of this was to make sure that we had the right people at the table. And by doing that, we were able to get such real authentic stories and such real feedback that, you know, again, at at the start, we had thought about, you know, do we focus on Jeb Stewart and Robert E. Lee and try to put context around them? And what we heard loud and clear from the community was, again, no, we've heard enough about those folks. Let's talk about Maggie Walker, the first Black woman to own a bank in the entire United States. Let's talk about Bill Bojangles Robinson and other amazing performers that came into the Robinson Theater, that came into Jackson Ward over the years and just did absolutely amazing things to make Richmond, Richmond. And... Hearing that from the community, and not just hearing that broadly, but then hearing the details, hearing the specifics of those stories—you know, pulling in quotes from people like the founder of Richmond of the um, the Richmond Planet, one of the first black-owned newspapers in the country—and being able to bring in the voices of our students and of community leaders, literally, to be the narration in the augmented reality app and be able to be the ones that you hear speaking through the app. I mean, that was just such a core tenant for everything we did was literally and figuratively making sure that we were hearing from the voices who traditionally have not had a voice in places like Monument Avenue.
1: Brady's path to starting the groundbreaking app almost didn't happen. If he hadn't heard about the Mandela Washington Reciprocal Exchange Program by chance, And if he hadn't decided to take the time to apply, his path today would be different. That choice, though, would inform his work in the Richmond public school system today. And of course, would lead him to meeting Julia.
0: When I was working at Virginia Commonwealth University in 2016, um, somebody told me about this amazing opportunity where there were these fellows coming from various different countries in Africa, uh, who would be a part of the Nelson Mandela Washington Fellowship Program, and you know, meeting with they basically they were looking for peer collaborators, just someone who could help show so, uh, show an individual around the city and you know just have conversation and see where see where that conversation went. Uh, And I remember the gentleman was from Mauritius, uh, which is a small island kind of uh, close to Madagascar that I didn't really know anything about until then. And of course, now I know much more about it. Uh, And so working with this gentleman and just getting to show him around my city, learn more about the, the struggles and some of the issues and also some of the amazing assets that his community and his country has, uh that was really an amazing opportunity for me that was followed up by you know just one of the best opportunities i've ever had when several months later uh we found out that there was a reciprocal exchange program and so one of the things that we had talked about a lot during his time there was you know my role with the university and now with Richmond public schools is really all about community engagement And particularly, a lot of my work is centered on how to work with university communities as well as other community partners to support K through 12 education. And uh, we basically framed a project around having conversations and events and uh, programming with universities in Mauritius to help encourage them to you know, develop student programming and student engagement opportunities to work directly with the community, especially in support of K through 12 schools, which is something that to that point was um, pretty new for Mauritius. That that wasn't a real common theme at the universities there. And so that's really what we got a chance to do when I went to Mauritius in the spring of 2017. Uh, and that was you know to this point i still talk about that as like that that's just been the gift that keeps on giving because that also enabled me to then go to the alumni ties event at uh, in santa fe new mexico in december of 2019 which of course is where i met julia and i remember just the energy there and just the variety of people right we had all come from different programs uh, we were all from different parts of the country and just bringing all of that together, blending all of that group together, and then asking us to just, or giving us the space to just collaborate and just step outside of our day to day for a few days to just have conversations about what is possible, right? What What is it that we can still do that we can, you know, that we can do to accomplish together? And that's really where this idea was born. It was Julia and several other colleagues talking about their capabilities with augmented reality. And I don't want to understate this enough, Julia and you know her team at Novabuy, the work that they're doing with augmented reality and with placemaking, and I know at, at its core, it's really about creative placemaking and about sharing the stories of community, It's absolutely cutting edge. Everything that they're doing right now is just, it it is right on the cutting edge of things that we couldn't even imagine five years ago. And so being able to work so closely with Julia and with other folks like that, and just being able to bring my community together, you know, the public school system, the city government, major museums, Uh, Major community partners, historians, artists, students, families, just none of that would have been possible without alumni titles. None of that would have happened. And I just think about how this is, you know, Julie and I are just two of the, you know, of the folks who have participated in these kind of events, right? And this is just one project that has come out of it. It really is absolutely amazing. And then, you know, just to take it a step further on this one project, we've had so much success with it. And the community response has been so positive that we are now in talks about bringing an augmented reality experience, a placemaking experience just like this to Jackson Ward. Uh, And we've received grant funding, um, you know, a small amount of seed funding, again, from the State Department, from a separate program, but related um the citizen diplomacy action fund has given us seed funding to bring this to Jackson Ward which as i mentioned Jackson Ward is i mean that's that's the center of richmond right like that that is if you want to learn richmond history you go to jackson ward um and for us to be able to bring something like that and work with the black history museum which is located right in jackson ward and center them as really the the owners of this work, as the owners of the story that's going to be told about Jackson Ward, along with a number of other community partners. We have several local historical churches. Uh, The Maggie Walker House is located right there. It's a historical location that's run as a museum now. Uh, the, The history there is just bursting at the seams to be told. And to be able to now have a chance to do that using augmented reality in Jackson Ward, I just, it's amazing the things that have come from this opportunity and all from, you know, I tell my students, I still teach a little bit at VCU. I tell them, you're going to get so many opportunities to do things that you're going to think, I don't have time for this, right? Or uh, this isn't a priority right now. If it is a priority, if it's something that you want to do, if it's something that you find interesting, do everything in your power to find and make the time for it to happen. Because it would have been so easy for me to just say back in 2016, I don't have time for this now. None of this would be happening. None of this would be happening if I had just not taken the opportunity that was presented to me and then not taken the continuous opportunities that the alumni ties and that the State Department has continued to make available for me, I just keep saying yes, and amazing things keep on happening.
1: Thank you, Grady, for sharing all that you've done, and all that you and Julia are doing with augmented reality. To find out more about Monumental Conversations, or to download the app, visit monumentalconversations.org. Grady also welcomes emails from listeners at ghart, H-A-R-T, at rvaschools.net to continue the conversation. Next up on Voices of Exchange, two Exchange alumni who met at another Alumni Ties seminar explore American identity. They both come from small towns in the South, but that's where the similarities end. Tune in for a conversation about race, identity, and why how we tell our stories matters.